Hello, and welcome to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Let's unpack the relationships that we encounter in our daily lives and learn about what makes them tick. And now your host for Red Rock Relationships, Dr. James B. Stein. We're back, we're back, we're back with another episode, and I'm very excited about this one, folks, I'm not going to lie. For a minute there, I didn't know what we were going to talk about today, um, because our guest this week has a specialty in conflict. And we already had a conflict episode this week, but our guest this week also has a knack for doing something that I like to do myself, which is myth busting and uh, we'll call it um, takedown uh, videos in which uh, actual relationship experts uh, dispel myths and rumors that are propagated by individuals who don't necessarily always know all of what they're talking about. And that's me putting it as gently as I can. So to help me do a little bit of that myth uh, myth busting, I am joined by uh, Dr. Rachel Vanderbilt. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to do some myth busting with you. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. And it's funny because um, from like an academic standpoint, we run in pretty close circles. You're a, um, a student of Denise Solomon, whose theory informed my dissertation, but uh, we didn't get to know each other until we found each other on social media doing myth busting. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yeah, we're in a very small uh, segment of the field together. And uh, so it is cool that it's a small world and we both wound up doing similar stuff on the internet. <laughs> right? It is funny how that happens like that. Um, So today we're going to talk about some of the myths that are presented, but more than that, we're going to talk about who the myth tellers are, uh, how we can recognize them and why we should be wary of them um, in the first place. Now, before we do all of that, um, could you just take a minute or two to maybe uh, familiarize yourself with our audience, who you are, what your academic lineage is, and where you uh, spend your, the the, the crux of your uh, research efforts? Sure. So I got my doctorate in the communication arts and sciences department at Penn State. And as you mentioned, my advisor was Denise Solomon, who uh, she has a number of theories to her name, but her core area is in conflict and romantic relationships. And that's where my life is situated as well. Um, I do research on something called serial arguments, which are those conflicts that we have over and over and over again and just can't seem to solve. Um, And I look at how those arguments that we have change as we get older um, and as our relationships mature, which was a space that really was unoccupied before uh, I started looking into it. So that's basically me. (laughs) (laughs) Nice, nice. And um, it's funny. So you do serial conflicts. Way back in season one, this was 2020, we had an episode with soon-to-be Dr. Rob Matheny about intractable conflicts, and I know that there's overlap between those uh, those serial cyclical patterns of argument that can sometimes uh, result because of an intractable or like an unsolvable uh, conflict. So that's why I didn't want to talk about that necessarily, but I think that our topic today uh, might somehow be even better. <laughs> I think this was a great thing to stumble into. I'm going to be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and uh, we're we're also going to talk uh, a little bit more about um, some of these social media relationships in our season finale. We're going to talk about parasocial relationships. That one's going to be uh, fun. Yeah. But we're getting ahead of ourselves. Let's talk a little bit about not necessarily the relational myths that are out there, but again, I want to talk about the myth makers. So what we see a lot of, and this is. This runs especially true in circles of gentlemen, 
uh, of the heterosexual variety who are looking to court young women. What we see in a lot of those circles are a lot of, I'm gonna say, I'm gonna use big air quotes here, relationship experts, um, dating coaches who pop up on social media and who give these young men um, a ton of advice that has uh, very little of any theoretical standing and is mostly designed, if anything else, to kind of push these young men away from potential partners. My question to you is, why does this seem to be happening so much right now? And where are these people coming from? Yeah, so this is a great question. And I don't know that I have like the answer, but I have a thought on this. Um, so it's not just these men that are putting out bad information to other men in how to court women, right? And a lot of their, um, the way they talk about this is they'll be like, women are going to tell you that they want this thing, but I'm here to tell you they don't actually want that. So they're like phrasing relationship advice mm. as, um, I'm going to tell you that the women don't know what they want and I know better, right? I, that's one kind of advice that we're seeing online. But the other segment is, I think, from generally well-meaning people, right? So um, there's a lot of women giving advice to other women. And I think uh, really a lot of why we're seeing so much of it recently is rooted in this, uh, you know, the great resignation that's happening right now. I think a lot of people are thinking about um, their interests and what they want to do with their career. And they're rethinking this idea of what they have to be. And they say, well, what, what is it that I know? What can I contribute to the world? I don't want to be in corporate America. I want to have my own business, let's say. And they think, well, I know something about relationships. Maybe it's I've dated a lot and I've had really bad experiences dating. Um, and so I can help people navigate that. Or maybe it's that, um, you know, they give advice to their friends all the time, right? And their friends seem to have really good experiences after receiving their advice. So generally well-meaning people who are trying to, you know, provide advice. Um, and then for those men who are providing problematic advice, we'll call it, <laughs> yeah. um, to other men, I think there's sort of a new genre emerging on TikTok. It's a way to make a name for yourself. And many of these uh, men have their own podcast or like a coaching service that they're providing. Um, and it's just to fit into a, a, a genre that seems to be doing well on social media, mm. in my opinion. Yeah. And I, you know, you mentioned TikTok. I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. And I think that that needs to be discussed uh, in this conversation. When it comes to TikTok, the algorithm is so special that it can reward somebody who has 10 followers with a video that gets a million views. Um, anyone can truly go viral uh, in a way that we've not seen on any other platforms. And so I think what we're seeing is we're seeing a, a lot of these people establish themselves on TikTok and then try to migrate people toward YouTube, which is much more uh, monetizable, if that's a word. Um, <laughs> And then, and then of course, and then they've got a book, they've always got a book. So I, I, I agree with you. I think that your point about the great resignation is super important because these are probably people who were unsatisfied in their professional careers, who are looking to essentially make a career out of simply being themselves, which is an admirable quality in a vacuum. But when it involves um, 
pandering to some of the more uh, nefarious tendencies related to um, relationships. Um, that's where that's where folks like you and I do have to step in and correct uh, that sort of information. So I think that's a really good answer. I wasn't expecting that. I mean, I was expecting a good answer. I was expecting a good answer. I just didn't I, I, I didn't expect the dots to line up so cleanly. That's nice. Oh, I'm so glad that I provided a good answer. <laughs> okay, so Look, I don't I don't want to call these people grifters, but for me, if you are telling people that you are the 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 person that they've been missing in terms of improving your life and then you add a comma and say, "Now pay me money, subscribe, buy my book, hire me as a coach." If you get into that realm, that, that that's borderline grifting. Um if not it, it full is. on grifting. So uh, my yes. pat my my question is what are some of the signs to look out for? Like if you, for example, are a young man or a young woman or someone, and you're on the dating market and you've got, some, and you're, you know, you're struggling, right? And you get someone who's trying to provide you advice. What are some of the signs that we should be looking out for in terms of folks who are trying to grift you and really just trying to, to take your money instead of actually providing you with valuable information that you can use to improve your life? So this is so hard because sometimes these people are so good at sounding authoritative that I think that I've missed something in my studies, right? <laughs> Where I, I'm like, am I missing something? This sounds so plausible. And they're speaking so authoritatively that I am convinced now that they know what they're talking about. Um, so when I'm looking out for, is this person reputable? Right. Uh, or what what are they you know, what are the signs that they are not, you know, a qualified person to be giving advice? They sell a service. Oftentimes they'll be like, I'm going to I can provide one on one coaching mm. for five dollars. You can have my goal list that you can fill in, you know you know, like family guy style, like live, you know, live it, want it, do it or whatever. It was, <laughs> wish you know, it, want it, you, do it, wish it, wish want it, want to do it. Yes. You write, you write the book yourself, right? Like they provide these services, um, and they want to take your money. Mm. Right. Um, and I think they just are speaking in a way where they, uh, you know, they don't use citations. They don't provide you evidence, right? They're telling you, my friend did this thing, or I noticed in my dating, blah, blah, blah. Mm. A lot of these people have, you know, no, no actual authority, no credibility, no source material to, to be making the claims that they're making. Mm. Um, and so it is really hard to be like, to determine whether someone is qualified to be giving advice or if they are grifting. And a lot of them really are. They really are. If they are selling you a service and you can't easily find their qualifications, whether it's a certification or a degree or they're a therapist or something, right? That mm. there should be some basis for the information they're providing you. Yeah. Um, I, well, I, so, okay. So one, they're asking you for money right now. I, I think that there's a big difference between monetizing yourself and asking the people who turn to you for advice for money. Like for example, if you are a large social media personality and you have sponsored content and you are transparent about that content being sponsored um, and you're taking money from companies, right? That's different than saying, if you want to get better at dating, give me $20, right? I, I think that right. that's clear. I will push back on one thing though. You, you said yeah. that they'll say things like in my experience dating or, you know, with, with me and in my relationships, I 
wish that they would say that. <laughs> for, for me, what I've heard is more of like, men are like this and women are like this, and therefore you should do this. Um, and what they're often doing is they're often speaking from their own anecdotal experience, which there's nothing necessarily wrong with doing that. But again, it's better to acknowledge it and say, yes. look, this is just me speaking. This is just me, but here's what I've experienced. Which is totally valid, right? When I see someone talking about their relationships and they're like, you know, I, you know, I've just noticed this, this pattern and it's been really bugging me. That's that's one thing, right? You totally, totally speak about your experiences as a vehicle for explaining something or talking about something you've noticed. But it's when you make those, as you said, definitive, like generalizable claims about people where it becomes problematic. And again, they speak with authority. It is hard to parse out sometimes whether they are giving you advice that is truly generalizable or whether it does just exist in their sphere of experience. Yeah. And okay. So that's, that's three really good concrete trends that we, so asking for money and inability to provide credentials, um, uh, 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 taking anecdotal experience and speaking in absolutes by using that anecdotal uh, experience and asking, you know, asking for your money, your individual money. Those are some really good uh, red flags to look for. Now let's talk about the things that they're saying. I don't want to use the word favorite, but I'm going to use the word favorite. Uh, we do see a pattern of specific sorts of myths that pop up over and over again. So can you tell me one or two of your favorite myths? Yeah, there is so many. So it's really hard to choose from. One of them, I think you touch on men are like this and women are like this. And it's the constant need to say that men and women are inherently different in the way that we want our relationships to function, the way that we experience relationships, like our brain chemistry, like how we how we do and experience things really like research tells us that men and women really don't want different things from relationships. Like yeah. the, the, the idea that men are from Mars and women are from Venus has been like really perpetuated in society. And it's not based in generalizable claims. It's not based in evidence. There are some things that we can say are, you know, different between men and women generalizably, mm -hmm. but it's really small. It's really small and not real. So that's one claim, right? Men are like this, women are like this, or men feel this way about sex and women feel this way about sex. Mm -hmm. it, it's not that different. Those are always so sad. They're so always so sad. sad because it's always, so it's usually just a guy talking about how women don't, uh, don't want to like orgasm. <laughs> it's like, what are you talking about? Uh, women who use Instagram are cheating is my, my recent favorite. Oh yeah. Ugh. We're not gonna name names, but yes. But there's a person, you know, <laughs> um, and then uh, one that has come up so much recently. So this is some sort of top of mind for me because um, I've seen probably five or six TikToks in the last two weeks on this subject, mm. which is men it's like couples who sleep in separate beds, that that's a sign of a deteriorating relationship. Mm. Uh, it's gotten to me so bad because actually the research says that co-sleeping in the same bed can 
actually promote like really bad sleep patterns and bad experiences sleeping. So you have horrible sleep hygiene, which creates the conditions for you to be tired all the time, which creates the conditions for conflict to occur. And so there's one guy who is a divorce attorney or something. And he put out there that his number one sign that his clients are heading for divorce is that they sleep in separate beds when really it's probably like the arrow is probably backwards. Like they're heading for divorce. So they're sleeping in separate beds. You know what I'm saying? (laughs) Yeah. Right. Yeah. (laughs) You know, what's really interesting. Um, I'll, I'll speak anecdotally really quickly. I've spoken with my partner who, my partner and I were in a long distance relationship. And when she comes down to visit, we sleep in the same bed and sometimes we struggle. And we've talked about, hey, if we're ever gonna move in together, I brought it up. I said, would you consider having our own rooms and then maybe like doing sleepovers in the same bed sometime? And she was like, I am so glad you brought that up. I have thought about that so much and it would be so nice. Um, So, and and that's not to say that's right for every couple, but it is to say that, again, speaking in absolutes like that is a recipe for giving misleading advice. Sure, and especially for couples where their careers are on different shifts, like I'm thinking nurses or policemen, right? Where you have night jobs and day jobs, right? That sleeping in the same bed can literally be so detrimental to your sleep health. And that does affect your relationship health too. Mm -hmm. And so you can't make sweeping claims like that. There's no right way for everyone, right? Like I saw a woman, she talked about um, her and her husband live in a duplex and he has his apartment upstairs and she has her apartment downstairs Mm -hmm. and they have kids and those kids, they go up and down the stairs to see each parent whenever they want, right? And it's not weird to them because that's just their experience. Um, But it means that she gets to have her place and her stuff in the way that she wants it. And he gets the same and like that works for them. Yeah, and like when I teach nonverbal communication, when we talk about proxemics and space, territory is a huge part of that conversation and people want to have their own territory. Um, So it's meaningful. Um, Coming back really quickly, circling back to the men are from Mars, women are from Venus thing. I, th- I think, this is just my speculation, I think that the reason that that particular myth gets recycled in so many different forms over and over again is because it's such a simple explanation. Why are you not in a relationship? Well, because you're fundamentally different from the women or men that you're trying to date. And so, you know, it's not it's not your fault that you're unsuccessful at dating. The genders, the, the, you know, the gender binaries are different inherently and that's just simply not the case like you said the majority of differences that exist between men and women are either small or so negligible that they can be erased through confounding factors like i think about the uh, the double shot hypothesis where men tend to view sexual infidelity as more hurtful and women tend to view emotional infidelity as more hurtful until you allow men and women to rank the hurtfulness of both of them next to each other and at that point it's it's the same for men and women um but this is a nice, simple way of explaining failures or lack of satisfaction that men and women are so different from each other when in reality, um, differences are minimal at best. Yeah, and we like as humans to fall into neat categories and boxes and to have explanations, right, for everything that's happening. And so it's really simple, as you said, to be like, you're just like this because you're a man and I'm like this because I'm a woman, right? It's just not true. And so it's easy to get propagated on social media because it's accessible and everyone has, you know, experiences that they can put in that box. Right. And, and so we say, yeah, that's so true. 
That's so true. It must be, it must be true because I have experience with that thing. Um, but really it's just, it can be explained away by other things. And that's the point of research, right? Is to figure out what, what other alternative explanations might there be for that? Right. Yeah. It's not like if, if there were no research, it would just be a bunch of people like floating around talking about their own anecdotal experiences. And just to put a bow on that last bit right there, I find it very funny that so many of these myth makers will often, you know, say, well, you know, that's what it's been like for me. I've noticed that men and women are so different. And I always want to ask them, like, are you sure that it's not just that you've been dating um, regular people and that your belief structure is extreme and obscure, and that's why you feel so different from them. I, I've always wanted to ask um, the, uh, some of our choice friends uh, that that question, and just to see if they've considered it. <laughs> I'm certain they haven't, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, we got about five minutes of time left, so I've got one last question for you, and it. We've talked about, you know, some of the ways in which we can spot people um, uh, who might be a grifter. Uh, you and I, we have extensive training. And, and as we know, the higher your education, the less likely you are to fall for things like scams. Um, so since we both have our doctoral degrees, we're pretty equipped to handle these myths, unpack them and explain why they're wrong. But most people don't have that situation going on. So what are some things that lay folks can do, uh, or maybe even like undergraduate students who are learning about this and interested in it, what are some things that those folks can do to debunk all of these relational myths that they encounter? Yeah, this is tough, right? So when you when you don't have your doctorate, let's say, and it's not immediately apparent from you know your realm or your sphere of knowledge that something is just not accurate, um, or it sounds too good to be true. The first place I go is is Google, and I try and you know when I'm looking into these TikToks again, sometimes I I am led to believe a thing is true, right? So I I go to Google and I say, well, where is this information coming from, right? Um, sometimes it's a book, right? So Love Languages, for example, is written by a guy. Oh he, God, he, oh. he I know <laughs> you're in my favorite. My students uh, talk about it all the time. It's so painful. Me too. Me too. Why? Why? But it's, I understand it, right? I understand it. It's, it's a nice framework. We all have things that we like to do. And we, we like to say, again, you're like this, you like these things and I like these things. And that really explains where our problems are coming from. Right. Um, but so he, you know, he wrote a book, he wrote a book on it and, and you say, well, he wrote a book. He must be an expert. Well, when you look into his background, right, if you, if you Google his name, he has a doctorate. His Dr. Gary Chapman, he's got a doctorate, but what's his doctorate in? Is it in something that's, it's relevant, right? So, so you dig into it. No, his doctorate's in education. That's not a problem, right? He, he probably can look at research and read it and understand it. Mm -hmm. Um, where did he get his, his information from when you, when you read through, um, how he came to, to write that book, it was, he was a marital counselor, like a religious, uh, marital counselor. Mm -hmm. And, um, he was a therapist essentially. Right. And so he had all these patients who were talking to him about these problems. And, and so then he put out this book and he said, this is what is true. It's not what's true, right? If you're in research, you know that a qualitative understanding is only limited to the population you studied, right? It, mm -hmm. it, it's not generalizable to everyone. Um, so then what you can do is you can say, so who wrote this thing? Who came up with it? Um, there's a, a TikTok that says there's four phases to a relationship. Okay, that came, was, uh, came to be from a relationship coach. Mm -hmm. That person isn't someone who's qualified to come up with that information. So I start with Google. 
And I try and come up with an explanation. And I think that's your best friend. And then when in doubt, ask a resource, right? There are people who are an expert in this. And and if you're an undergraduate student, you have your access to those credible people. Mm -hmm. Um, And and those people will, you know, most often be glad to have a chat about that. Um, And so I think, you know, finding out, you know, doing a little digging in in the Google universe is a great place to start. Maybe Google Scholar. I I love a good Google Scholar. Yep. I always Um, always say Google is your friend, but Google Scholar is your bestie. I love Google Scholar. I Same. sit on that all day on TikTok. All day. No, I do think that you've made a, a really important point there where it really can just be as simple as taking that time and, and, and analyzing where did the source of information come from. And for the record, researchers have tested those love languages. They've run, specifically, they ran uh, what's known as an ANOVA, an analysis of variants, to see if people who subscribe to those love languages engage in different behaviors. They don't. There's no statistically significant difference between the ways in which those people behave. And when people tried to make a scale that measured those love languages, the scales were unreliable. They could not measure what they were trying to measure because there's no uh, uh, theoretical or, or even qualitative underpinning to the nature of it's just something that a dude made up in his head one day. Which is wild. wild. It is wild. That is just about the end of our time. Dr. Vanderbilt, thank you so much for coming on and myth busting with me. Thank you so much for having me. This was so fun and I hope this helps others do their own myth busting too. Let's hope so. So next week we got a great one. We got um, Dr. Uh, Melissa Tafoya coming on. We're gonna talk about infidelity in close relationships and then that will lead us into a conversation about parasocial relationships and how those can affect our mental health. But until then, I'll see you all next time for a rousing conversation about close relationships. Take care. You've been listening to Red Rock Relationships, a podcast about communication. Thank you so much for giving us some of your time. If you'd like to be on the show or have questions for us, please send us an email to redrockrelationships at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Just search Red Rock Relationships. Thank you again. And remember, it all begins with good communication. This has been a production from a podcast studio.